that's a bingo. Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo. You just say bingo. Damn, y'all. We are fucking live. Episode 51. Short story bingo. Look at the setup. You know? Fucking 10,000 downloads. I got that from Podbean. My name is Nate Chacombe III. I am the host of Short Story Bingo. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is uh, not your first time, the retention program is working. What I do on this podcast is I am a glorified narrator to stories you may have heard or some that you haven't. Um, It's like Audible, sort of. What we're going to read today, just to get this out of the way initially, and we'll talk about it, is Too Much and Never Enough. This uh, New York Times bestseller just came out by Mary L. Trump. This is uh, Donald Trump's niece, and uh, she decided to come forward with some uh, you know, details on the upbringing of uh, the man and uh, his, her family in particular. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, literally on the cover says, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. So, fucking, that should uh, set the precedent for how the rest of that shit's going to go. Anyway, um, I told you guys we were going to do it, so we're going to do it. This is what we're doing. It's the video and also the audio. So, if you're listening in audio land, welcome. Um, but, yeah, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Extraterrestrial Media. Uh, go on to extratmedia.com. They... Uh, are head up by my boy George uh, McDonald, aka George Life. Um, if you need to have a music video filmed, record an audio single, or get a drone shot of your business or home, uh, he is the man for that and his company. Um, they have a wide, excuse me, a wide range of services to help any artist or curators in need. And it wouldn't be a fucking podcast or my podcast if it didn't start by jumbling over these big ass lips of mine. So there's that. We got that going. Um, I want to say thank you to everyone that's been rocking with me uh, since day one. Thank you guys so much. We got to this point uh, because of you um, and this. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't even be doing this if uh, I would. there wasn't the, the want for it and the need. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and moving forward, uh, make sure to send your emails to shortstorybingo at gmail.com. I have been um, answering to a bunch of folks asking where the hell I've been, what the hell we're doing, and when the hell we're coming back. So, yeah, um, if you have stories that you want to send in or like anything, I mean, stories, you got tales, like if you have something that might have helped, like if I might have helped or something or whatever the fuck, just tell me. Just let me know. Um, we're going to be doing a subset of this podcast as well. I need to get that out called Our Stories. It's going to be a live uh, feed version um, of that. So that's going to go down the lane of me actually just talking with folks, essentially an interview um, with uh, regular ass folks that um, have regular ass things going on in an irregular world, as it were. So to t- stay safe and shit, you know, that whole thing. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing that as well. Um with this book, I bought this actually um, on eBay because uh, I was searching for the first edition. I'm a really big person that uh, I'd like to get the first edition of the book. So um, I was 
and this just barely came out, so it wasn't like super difficult or anything, but it retailed initially when it first came out for 20 bucks and I got it on eBay for 20 bucks. So if you're one of those folks that uh, like to find bargain shit, I mean, that, that's a real thing that's happening. Obviously, Bob Woodward has his uh, book coming out um, about Trump as well. And we all know the, I mean, if you haven't, just type in Bob Woodward uh, and the awesome comments that he said that I'm referring to Donald Trump about COVID and everything, but yeah, short story bingo episode 51. We're getting into it, man. Fucking the intro song is supposed to start here soon. And this is going to be dope too. Cause yeah. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're sad. Most of the time they're funny because I hate to be sad. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. But don't take my word for it. Spare fingers. Yes. All right. All right. Okay. So um, this book is um, a pretty quick read. Um, it's only two, like, yeah, like 200 pages, I mean, for the read of it. So it's not um, not really long, man. Uh, what we're going to read, though, is the prologue. Um, from what I read about it, it's the strongest summation of the book and where, you know, what the vision is for the story she's going to be conveying throughout it. And honestly, it's not story, it's fiction. So again, Mary L or excuse me, too much and never enough. How my family created the world's most dangerous man by Mary L Trump PhD. So if I can make sure you got to say that. All right. Uh, okay. I'd always liked my name as a kid at sailing camp in the 1970s. Everybody called me Trump. It was a source of pride, not because the name was associated with power and real estate. Back then, my family was unknown outside of Brooklyn and Queens. BX! But because something about the sound of it suited me, a tough six-year-old, afraid of nothing. In the 1980s, when I was in college and my Uncle Donald had started branding all of his buildings in Manhattan, my feelings about my name become, became more complicated. 30 years later... On April 4th, 2017, I was in the quiet car of an Ameri uh, excuse me, Ameritrack, uh, of an Amtrak train headed to Washington, D.C. for a family dinner at the White House. Ten days earlier, I had received an email inviting me to a birthday celebration for my aunts, Mary Ann, turning 80, congrats to you fucking Mary Ann, and Elizabeth, turning 75. Their younger brother, Donald, had occupied the Oval Office since January. Imagine that shit, you know? Like, I think about that pretty often about any position of power when you know which, like, when you see someone get to a position of power and you know how they came up to see how they're going to handle that, you know? And their aunts, his aunts to like be seeing their nephew in the white house, knowing how he came up must, I don't know. It just seems like that. Like I know that I've experienced it with friends of mine. I mean, I saw my friend the other day on LinkedIn, um, 
he has a PhD himself. And I was like, what? I played basketball with that kid when we were like 16 years old. You know what I'm saying? And no big deal. All good. Fucking get a PhD. I'm just saying like, that's, that's something different when you're like, man, I fucking saw you when you were a snot nose. You know what I'm saying? Like, so anyway, after I emerged into union station with its vaulted ceilings and black and white marble floors, I passed a vendor who had set up an easel with buttons for sale. My name Trump in a red circle with a red slash through it. Deport Trump. Dump Trump. And Trump is a witch. I put on my sunglasses and picked up my pace. <laughs> I took a cab to the Trump International Hotel, which was comping my family for one night. After checking in, I walked through the atrium and looked up at the glass ceiling and the blue sky beyond. The three tiered Crystal chandeliers that hung from the central beam of interconnected uh, girders arching overhead cast a soft light. It's, I mean, the bill, his, I mean, honestly, Trump like hotels and towers and shit. That shit is fucking gorgeous. Like, uh, fuck it. I, I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, on one side, armchairs, settees, and I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, so let's just fucking put that out there, all right? S-E-T-T-E-E-S, set, settees, and couches. Royal blue, robin's egg blue, ivory. Ooh, just that, the description for that blue, robin's egg blue, you know? Mmm, I want a robin's egg blue couch. Uh, we're arranged in small groups. On the other, tables and chairs circled a large bar where I was later scheduled to meet my brother. I had expected the hotel to be vulgar and gilded. It wasn't. My room was also tasteful, but my name was plastered everywhere on everything. Trump shampoo, Trump conditioner, Trump slippers, Trump shower craps, Trump shoe polish, Trump sewing kits, and Trump bathrobe, Trump dildos, Trump fucking pencils. Which one of those was fake? You know? You don't know that. I opened the refrigerator, grabbed a split of Trump white wine, can't make that up, and poured it down my Trump throat so it could course through my Trump bloodstream and hit the pleasure center of my Trump brain. I really love her writing, for real. An hour later, I met my brother, Frederick Christ Trump III, uh, whom I've called Fritz since we were kids, and his wife, Lisa. Soon, we were joined by the Rets. First off, also get a new middle name, Christ. Um, soon, we were joined by the rest of the, our party. My Aunt Marianne, the eldest of Fred and Mary Trump's five children. And a respect And Fred and Mary Trump are the matriarch and patriarch. So, that, okay. Uh, eldest of Fred and Mary Trump's five children. Hold on, let me run that back. Blah, 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 blah. An hour later, I met my brother, Frederick uh, Chris Trump III, whom I've called Fritz since we were kids, and his wife, Lisa. Soon, we were joined by the rest of our party. Party, My aunt, Marianne, uh, Marianne, the eldest of Fred and Mary Trump's five children, and a respected federal appeals court judge. My uncle, Robert, the baby of the family, who for a short time had been one of Donald's employees in Atlantic City, before leaving on bad terms in the early 1990s, and his girlfriend. Okay, we're, everyone's at the table, we're setting the scene as it were. My Aunt Elizabeth, the middle Trump child, and her husband, Jim. Better name, Jim. Uh, my cousin David Desmond, Marianne's oldest child, and the oldest Trump grandchild. And his wife, and a few of my aunt's closest friends. 
The only Trump sibling who would be missing from the celebration was my father, Frederick Chris Trump, uh, Trump Jr., the oldest son, okay, whom everybody had called Freddie. I didn't know this. Uh, he had died more than 35 years before. I'm sure she might get into it, but I just want to look up how he died. And someone might know already, and they're like, he fucking died because of this. Uh, let's see. Died in 1981, September 26th. Mm. Well, fuck it, we're going to go look here. He died in Jamaica, New York. Uh, huh. Okay. Oh, he was an alcoholic. Fred Trump Jr. was a passionate airplane pilot and a very good mediator. However, he could never do good during his time with his family business because of chronic alcoholism. As a result, Freddie died at a young age of 43. That sucks. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, my mom died of alcoholism. So just like hearing that, you know, I don't know. I just like, regardless of fucking his family and shit, I don't know. Um, or excuse me, of him, uh, someone dying of a tragic, I think that's like, I think that's a tragic way to go because, um, you have like a, I don't know. You have a time frame to try to help be like, as far as someone who's supporting someone like that, um, to be there for them or, or not, you can choose to like, you know, not be there for them, but. Yeah, anyway, so his, okay, he died 35 years before. All right, okay. Uh, when we were finally all together, we checked in with the White House security agents outside. Then piled haphazardly into the, into the two White House vans like a JV lacrosse team. Some of the, I just love that also, just like all the Trumps getting together, like regular ass family, like what the fuck, like he, fucking Fred or like Chris always smells crazy or some shit, you know, like, um, I got to sit in the front because, uh, I don't know. All I feel, I feel like all of them would be fighting for the front because they're all fucking Trump. So they're just like, I should sit in the front. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I did do this when I was fucking 76, so I should. Okay. Take it easy, man. Yeah. Some of the older guests had trouble negotiating the steps. Nobody was comfortable. Oh, see, I knew it. I fucking called it before I read it, dude. Okay, some of the older guests had trouble negotiating the steps. Nobody was comfortable squeezing onto the bench seats. I wondered why the White House hadn't thought to send at least one limo for my aunts. Yeah, get them out of here. Yeah, they should have their own fucking thing. And then, you know, we'll, it's like, you know, the parents go on one thing and the kids will go on the other. When you go on road trips, like with your parents, like you have, like if you have like a, uh, a sibling that's like over 18, oh, well, no, fucking Nate will drive us. We'll just drive with Nate. And so like you can catch like that little bit of weed smoke hit because like your older brother fucking hits it a little bit or something. I don't know. Point is, should have had two different things. I called it though, dude. I'm telling you I called it. As we pulled into the South Lawn driveway 10 minutes later, two guards came out of the security hut to inspect the underside of the van before we drove through the front gate. All right. After a short drive, we stopped at a small security building adjacent to the east wing and disembarked. We went inside one by one as our names were called, handed over our phones and bags, and walked through a metal detector. Once inside the White House, we walked in twos and threes through the long corridors, past windows looking out on gardens and lawns, 
past life-size paintings of former first ladies. I, I, dude, I would love to go to the fucking White House. I stopped in front of Hillary Clinton's portrait and stood silently for a minute. I wondered again how this could have happened. Damn. There was no reason for me to ever have imagined that I'd visit the White House, certainly not under these circumstances. The whole thing felt surreal. I looked around. The White House was elegant, grand, and stately. And I was about to see my uncle, the man who lived here for the first time in eight years. We emerged from the shadows of the hallway onto the portico surrounding the Rose Garden and stopped outside the Oval Office. Through the French doors, I could see that a meeting was still in progress. Vice President Mike Pence stood off to the side, but Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, Senator Chuck Schumer, and a dozen other um, congresspeople and staffers were gathered around Donald, who sat behind the Resolute desk. The tableau reminded me of one of my grandfather's tactics. He always made his supplicants come to him, either at his Brooklyn office or his house in Queens, and he remained seated while they stood. In late autumn, 19... That's like some, like, royalty shit, you know? Like, uh, I'll just... As you guys continue to do your thing, like, I... You know... That's just some royalty-ass shit. That's like some very, very pre uh, pretentious fucking behavior. But, I don't know. And we all had that one kid that, like... I don't know. Maybe I was that kid sometimes. But, like, when you'd be at, like... You, either at your house or like your friend's house or something and you had to like go clean up but you didn't want to clean up so you'd be like oh hey uh go like I'll, I'll go downstairs in two seconds i'm just gonna pick up a couple of the the controllers down here but i'll be down there in just two seconds i don't know that's where my brain goes as far as like that would be and then you go down not two seconds later but like 10 minutes later and it's already clean and they're like oh we can play games and you're like oh shit sorry yeah i was gonna help out but fucking i'm eight years old so whatever uh <laughs> Okay, uh, the tableau reminded me of one of my grandfather's tactics. He always made his supplicants come to him, either at his Brooklyn office or his house in Queens. And it remained seated while they stood. In late autumn, 1985, year I was born, dated myself, all good. A year after I had taken a leave of absence from Tufts University, I took my place in front of him, in front of her grandfather, and asked his permission to return to school. He looked up at me and said, that's stupid. What do you want to do that for? Just go to trade school and become a receptionist. <laughs> do that. Because I want to get my degree. I must have said it with a hint of annoyance. Because my grandfather narrowed his eyes and looked at me for a second as if reevaluating me. The corner of his mouth lifted in a sneer and he left. That's nasty. He said. A few minutes later, the meeting broke up. Great. The Oval Office was both smaller and less intimate than I'd imagined. My cousin Eric and his wife Laura, whom I've never met, were standing right by the door. So I said, hey Eric, or hi Eric. Um, it's your cousin, Mary. Of course, I know who you are, he said. Well, it's been a while, I said. I think the last time we saw each other, you were still in high school. He shrugged and said, that's probably true. He and Laura walked away without his introducing us. So cool. I looked around. Melania, Ivanka, 
Jared and Donnie had arrived and were standing next to Donald, who remained seated. Mike Pence continued to lurk on the other side of the room with a half-dead smile on his face. Just fucking pink panthery, just like me, 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 Mike Pence, fucking that guy. Continued to lurk on the other side of the room with a half-dead smile on his face. Like the chaperone everybody wanted to avoid. I stared at him, hoping to make eye contact, but he never looked my way. Excuse me, everyone. The White House photographer. Oh, I said it in a dude's voice, but it's going to be a petite young woman. So let's fucking do that again, huh? Excuse me, everyone. The White House photographer. A petite young woman in a dark pantsuit. Announced in an upbeat voice. Took that from Hillary Clinton. Let's get you all together so I can take some pictures before we go upstairs. She instructed us to surround Donald, who still had not gotten up from the desk. The photographer raised her camera. One, two, three, smile. She said, after the pictures had been taken, Donald stood up and pointed to a framed black and white photograph of my grandfather, which was propped up on a table behind the desk. Marianne, isn't that a great picture of dad? Wait, was that Donald that said that? Hold on, because I gotta do a Donald Trump voice if that's after the picture had been taken. Pictures had been taken. Donald stood up and pointed to a friend. It is fucking Donald Trump. Are we gonna do? Okay, we're gonna do a fucking okay. Donald stood up and pointed to a framed black and white photograph of my grandfather, which was propped up on a table behind the desk. Marianne, isn't that a great picture of Dad? So shitty, but that's what I was going to come out. It was the same photograph that had sat on the side table in the library of my grandparents' house. In it, my grandfather was still a young man with receding dark hair, a mustache, and a look of command that I have never seen falter until his dementia set in. We've all seen it thousands of times. Maybe you should have a picture of mom too, Marianne suggested. That's a great idea. Why does he sound like like a, like a 70s mobster that like never made it? And he's like the cousin that's like, come on, man. Maybe you, uh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Donald said, no, how to do it. I got to do it. Okay, hold on. That's a, that's a great idea. I can do it. I can fucking do it. I'm going to do it. That's a great, that's a, that's a great idea. You can do it. That's a great idea. No, and now I'm going higher. Huh. Excellent. Excellent. Outrageous. Oh, oh, see, this is the first one. This is all good. We're going to figure it out. That's all good. All right. So anyway, that's a great idea. Donald said as though it had never occurred to him. Somebody, oh, it sounds like Ben Stiller. Somebody get me a picture of mom. I'm going to get that, dude. I'm going to do it. We spent a few more minutes in the Oval Office, taking turns sitting behind the Resolute desk. My brother my brother took a picture of me, and when I looked at it later, I noticed my grandfather hovering behind me like a ghost. The White House historian joined us just outside the Oval Office, and we proceeded to the executive residence on the second floor for a tour to be followed by dinner. Once upstairs, we proceeded to the Lincoln bedroom, I took a quick look inside and was surprised to see a half-eaten apple on the bedside table. As the, as the historian told us stories about what had happened in the room through the years, Donald pointed vaguely once in a while and declared, 
This place has never looked better since George Washington lived here. See? It was good. The historian was too polite to point. What did he say? This place has never looked better since George Washington lived here. Okay, dude. And he's so superlative with shit like that. Okay. The historian was too polite to point out that the house hadn't been opened until after Washington had died. So George Washington didn't live there. You know, that's what that means. So we just instantly fact checked him and that's nothing. Uh, the group moved down the hall toward the treaty room and the executive dining room. So the, just a tour. This is fucking, you know, I would, again, I would love to go to the White House. It'd be super dope. Donald stood in the doorway, greeting people as they, uh, greeting, excuse me, people as they entered. I was one of the last to arrive. I hadn't yet said hello. And when he saw me, he pointed at me with a surprised look on his face and said, I, I specifically, um, I specifically asked for you to be here. That was the kind of thing he often said to charm people. And he had a knack for tailoring his comment to the occasion, which was all the more impressive because I knew it wasn't true. He opened his arms and then for the first time in my life, he hugged me. The first thing I noticed about the executive dining room was its beauty. The dark wood polished to perfection, the exqui uh, exquisite place settings, and the hand-drawn calligraphy on the place cards and menus. That's dope. I'm super sick, man. Iceberg lettuce salad, mashed potatoes, Trump family staples, and Wagyu beef filet. Yo, man. Wagyu beef? Um, top notch. You know what I'm saying? American Wagyu beef because, like, you can't, I mean, you can't get Japanese Wagyu beef. I mean, you, if you can, then that's dope. But, um, like, Wagyu burgers? Um, man. All right. The second thing I noticed after sitting down was the seating arrangement. All right. In my family, you could always gauge your worth by where you were seated. I think that's like in most, I mean, I think not most families, but that's not it's terribly uncommon. But I didn't mind. All the people I felt comfortable with, my brother and sister-in-law, Marianne's stepdaughter and her husband were seated near me. Okay. Each of the waiters carried a bottle of red wine and a bottle of white. Um, wait, of white, let's see, yeah, oh, this is my first time reading a fucking book, so, uh, each of the waiters carried a bottle of red wine and a bottle of white, real wine, not Trump wine, there we go, okay, I thought I was reading that wrong, it was a period, not a comma, so, whatever, that was unexpected, in my entire life, there had never been any alcohol at a family function, that's surprising, only Coke and apple juice had been served at my grandparents' house. That's tight, though. I'm okay with that. Like, we, I, I don't drink at my dad's house anymore. I used to have beers over there and stuff, but we don't drink over there either. I don't know. Halfway through the meal, Jared walked into the dining room. Well, like for, like, Christmas and shit. Sorry, I had to go back to that thought because it was still playing in my head. Halfway through the meal, Jared walked into the dining room. Oh, look. Ivanka said, clapping her hands. Jared's back from his trip to the Middle East. As if we hadn't just seen him in the Oval Office, he walked over to his wife, gave her a... Hold on, let me run that back. Halfway through the meal, Jared walked into the dining room. Oh, look, Ivanka said, clapping her hands. Jared's back from his trip to the Middle East. As if we hadn't just seen him in the Oval Office. He walked over to his wife, gave her a quick kiss on the cheek, then bent over to Donald, 
who was seated next to Ivanka. They spoke quietly for a couple of minutes, and then Jared left. He didn't acknowledge anybody else, not even my aunts. As he crossed the threshold, Donnie leapt out of his chair and bounded after him like an excited puppy. <laughs> As dessert was being served, Robert stood up, wine glass in hand. It is such an honor to be here with the President of the United States, he said. Thank you, Mr. President, for allowing us to be here to celebrate our sister's birthday. I thought back to the last time the family had celebrated Father's Day at Peter Luger Steakhouse in Brooklyn. Then, as now, Donald and Rob had been sitting next to each other with me directly across from them. Without any explanation, Donald had turned to Rob and said, Look, he bared his teeth and pointed at his mouth. What? Rob had asked. Donald had simply pulled his lips back farther and pointed more emphatically. Rob had started to look nervous. I had no idea what was going on, but watched the amusement while I sipped my Coke. Look, Donald had said through his gritted teeth. What do you think? What do you mean? Rob's embarrassment was palpable. He had glanced around him to make sure nobody was looking at him and whispered, Is there something in my teeth? The bowels of creamed spinach scattered around the table. The bowls, the bowels, dude! The bowels of creamed spinach. And also... You're welcome for the vision or the visualization of bowels of cream spinach. The bowls of cream spinach scattered around the table rendered that a distinct possibility. Spinach, teeth, boom, it's happened to all of us. Donald had relaxed his mouth and stopped pointing. The contemptuous look on his face summed up the entire history of their relationship. I got my, te I got my teeth whitened. What do you think? He asked dryly. After Rob's remarks, Donald shot him the same dismissive look I'd seen at Peter Luger's just almost 20 years before. Then, Diet, gla uh, Diet Coke glass in hand, Donald made some perfunctory remarks about my aunt's birthday, after which he gestured toward his daughter-in-law. Laura there, he said. I barely even know who the fuck she was, honestly. But then she gave a great speech during the campaign in Georgia supporting me. By then, Laura and Eric had been together for almost eight years, so presumably Donald had at least met her at their wedding. But it sounded as if he hadn't known who she was until she had something nice about him at a campaign rally during the election. As usual with Donald, the story mattered more than the truth. Which was easily sacrificed, especially if a lie made the story sound better. When Mary Ann's turn came, she said, I want to thank you for making the trip to celebrate our birthdays. We've come a long way since that night when Freddie dumped a bowl of mashed potatoes on Donald's head because he was being such a brat. Everybody familiar with the legendary mashed potato story laughed. Everyone except Donald. <laughs> Who listened with his arms tightly crossed and a scowl on his face. As he did whenever Marianne mentioned it. Oh my god. Come on, guys. This. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember. Shut the... You can see him being that dude, man. Honestly. I mean, whatever. We all have that story. Everyone has a story that you're like, God damn it, dude. Like, around here. Like... No, I got... I know I have a couple. Like, when um, I'm around my family, they say a couple. I'm like, okay, well, I can tell you the last fucking six lines. And every single time, it gets even better. 
<laughs> Marianne mentioned it and upset him, as if he were the seven that seven-year-old boy. He clearly still felt the sting of that long-ago humiliation. Sad a little bit. Fucking childhood trauma. That's a real fucking thing. Unprompted, my cousin Donnie, who'd returned from chasing down Jared, stood up to speak. Unprompted. Fucking, all right, I'll do it. Instead of toasting our aunts, he gave a sort of campaign speech. Last November, the American people saw something special and voted for a president who they knew understood them. They saw what a great family this is and they connected with our values. I glanced at my brother and rolled my eyes. Yeah. I flagged down one of the Raiders. Can I have some more wine? Fucking maybe the whole bottle, maybe two of them. I asked. She only asked for some more. All right. He returned quickly. Oh, shit. He returned quickly with two bottles. Count them, mother. And asked if I preferred red or white. Yes, please, I said. Just bring wine, man. As soon as we finished dessert, everybody rose. Only two hours had elapsed since we'd entered the Oval Office. But the meal was over. And it was time to leave. From beginning to end, we had spent about twice as much time at the White House as we ever had at my grandparents' house for Thanksgiving or Christmas, but still less time with Donald than Kid Rock, Sarah Palin, and Ted Nugent would two weeks later. Somebody suggested that we all take individual pictures with Donald, though not with guests of honor. When it was my turn, Donald smiled for the camera and gave a thumbs up. Ding! Uh, But I could see the exhaustion behind the smile. It seemed that keeping up the cheerful facade was wearing on him. Don't let them get you down, I said to him as my brother took the picture. It wasn't long after his first national security advisor had been fired in disgrace and the cracks in his presidency were already beginning to show. Donald jutted out his chin and clenched his teeth, looking for a moment like the ghost of my grandmother. They're not going to get me, he said. When Donald announced his run for presidency on June 16th, 2015, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't think Donald took it seriously. He simply wanted the free publicity for his brand. And I believe that. Like, I believe that that was the motive. And then it started to, like, snowball. That's what I, like, I think that it started out as, like, you know what? This is going to be dope for, like, eight months. We'll just trump the shit out of shit. And everything will be trump this, trump that, trump this. And then it was, like, he was saying things that he knew was going to, you know, uh, catch attention, catch ears. All good. It happens all the time. People go viral for less. And I think it snowballed. And he's like, oh, shit. We think we, we might actually do this. He's also wanted to run for president many times in the past anyway. So it's not like out of the question that he did it. I just think that it might have got away from him. And it turned into something like, oh, wow. I didn't have any ducks in a row like that would be necessary to facilitate the job of, in the Oval Office as the president of the United States damn near president of the free world for that matter, you know? So yeah, when she says that, I, I, I think, I don't know. Yeah. When Donald announced his run for, pre- I get it, I guess is what I'm saying. When Donald announced his run for president for the presidency on June 16th, 2015, I didn't take it seriously. I didn't think Donald took it seriously. He simply wanted the front. Uh, he simply wanted the free publicity for his brand. He'd don't, done that sort of thing before. When his poll numbers started to rise, and he may have received tactic assurances from Russian pl- President Vladimir Putin, uh, 
that Russia would do everything it could to swing the election in his favor, the appeal of winning grew. He's a clown, my Aunt Marianne said during one of our regular lunches at the time. This will never happen. I agreed. We talked about how his reputation as a faded reality star and failed businessman would doom his run. Does anyone, does anybody even believe the bullshit that he's a self-made man? What was, what has he even accomplished on his own, I asked. Well, Marianne said, as dry as the Sahara, he has had five bankruptcies. Crickets. When Donald started addressing the opioid crisis and using my father's history with alcoholism to burnish his anti-addiction bona fides to seem more sympathetic, both of us were angry. It's fucked up to use other people's transgressions to boost, uh, you know, you. He's using your father's memory for political purposes, Marianne said. And that's a sin. Especially since Freddie should have been the star of the family. Pow, pow. Shots fired. We thought the blatant racism on display during Donald's announcement speech would be a deal breaker. But we were disabused of that idea when Jerry Falwell Jr., and other white evangelicals started endorsing him. Marianne, a devout Catholic since her conversion five decades earlier, was incensed. What the fuck is wrong with them? She said. The only time Donald went to church was when the cameras were there. It's mind-boggling. He has no principles. None. This is his own family. You know what I'm saying? Nothing Donald said during the campaign, from his disparagement of Secretary of State Hillary Clinton... Arguably the most qualified presidential candidate in the history of the country, as a nasty woman, to his mocking of and the Clinton shit. I we're gonna be reading about Bill Clinton and his his um, autobiography, My Life, that he put out in nineteen ninety eight or two thousand four. Um, that'll be fun. But anyway, that's a. That's just this tangent in my head as I'm reading it. Arguably the most qualified presidential candidate in the history of the country as a nasty woman to his mockings of Serge Kovaleski, a disabled New York Times writer that was fuck off, deviated from my expectation of him. In fact, I was reminded of every family meal I'd ever attended during which Donald had talked about all of the women he'd considered ugly fat slobs or the men, usually more accomplished or more powerful, he called losers while my grandfather and Marianne, Elizabeth, and Robert all laughed and joined in. That kind of casual dehumanization of people was commonplace at the Trump dinner table. What did surprise me was that he kept getting away with it. Then he received the nomination. The things I had thought would disqualify him seemed only to strengthen his appeal to his base. I still wasn't concerned. I was confident he could never be elected, but the idea that he had a shot at it was unnerving. Make sure that you're registered to vote, by the way. I'm, this is not a, I'm not reading this to swing anyone on either side. I just, I, you know, I just call, I just see what I see, whatever, you know, and, um, there's a lot of divisiveness. So just make sure you're registered to vote, man. Make sure you're registered to vote. Late in the summer of 2016, I considered speaking out about the ways I knew. You know what? Actually, before I go on to that, I'm actually going to put a link to how to register to vote inside the description of this podcast. So if you have yet to vote, 
go to the you can uh, click the link inside the um, description box in the podcast short story bingo.podbean.com backslash short story bingo or shoot and and then also you can go to it short story bingo.podbean.com so just to help or just to get out and vote in november Late in the summer of 2016, I considered speaking out about the ways I knew Donald to be completely unqualified. By this time, he had emerged relatively unscathed from the Republican National Convention, and his call for Second Amendment people to stop Hillary Clinton, even his attack on um, Kaiser, I don't know if that's how you say it, and Ghazala Khan, Kaiser, K-H-I-Z-R. I'm sure someone's going to... I know, I'm going to get it on that one. Gold Star Parents, whose son... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gold Star Parents, whose son, Humayun, Humayun, uh, a U.S. Army captain, had died in Iraq, seemed not to matter. Seemed not to matter. When the majority of Republicans polled still supported him after the Access Hollywood tape was released, I knew I had made the right decision. You know, grab the pussy. Yeah, whatever. You know? I could just get fired from my job for saying some shit like that, you know? And I just do sales. (laughs) He's president of the United States. I began to feel as though I were watching my family history and Donald's central role in it, playing out on a grand scale. Donald's competition in the race was being held to higher standards, just as my father had always been, while he continued to get away with and even be rewarded for Increasingly crass, irresponsible, and despicable behavior. This can't possibly be happening again, I thought. But it was. The media failed to notice that not one member of Donald's family, apart from his children, his son-in-law, and his current wife, said a word in support of him during the entire campaign. I didn't even know. That's a good point. I didn't even notice that. Marianne told me she was lucky because as a federal judge, she needed to maintain her objectivity. Okay. She may have been the only person in the country, given her, her her position as his sister and her professional reputation, who, if she had spoken out about Donald's complete unfitness for the office, excuse me, um, might have made a difference. But she had her own secrets to keep, and I wasn't entirely surprised when she told me after the election that she'd voted for her brother out of family loyalty. All good. Growing up in the Trump family particularly as Freddie's child, presented certain challenges. In some ways, I've been extremely fortunate. I attended excellent private schools and had the security of first-rate medical insurance for much of my life. There was also a built-in sense of scarcity that applied to all of us, except Donald. After my grandfather died in 1999, I learned that my father's line had been erased from the will as if Fred Trump's oldest son had never existed. And a lawsuit followed. In the end, I concluded that if I spoke publicly about my uncle, I would be painted as a disgruntled, disinherited niece looking to cash in or settle a score. Yeah, I can see how that, yeah. In order to understand what brought Donald and all of us to this point, we need to start with my grandfather and his own need for recognition. A need that propelled him to encourage Donald's reckless hyperbole and unearned confidence that hid Donald's pathological weaknesses and insecurities. I mean, they have a whole family. Things just don't don't happen, you know? 
you're bred into the shit or something like, or you end up abandoning family and you go start hanging out with friends that are doing something and that, that is either ethical or non-ethical. Um, and you start developing that shit. What's that old idiom? I, or, you know, my, my dad would, and all the dads that have ever given a shit about their kid or parent for that matter, maybe there's a mom, you know, you are the crowd that you hang out with, you know? Um, so like shit like this doesn't surprise, like when all, like when I hear the people that like when Donald Sterling came out with his controversy, I'm like, yeah, I mean, do you see who you're talking about? I mean, in 1972, it was cool to say the N word like that. I mean, it wasn't cool. It just wasn't like delegated so hard. So like for the last 40 plus years, he's had to put that shit down, you know? I don't know. In order to understand what brought Donald, um, in order to understand what brought Donald and all of us to this point, we need to start with my grandfather and his own need for recognition, a need that propelled him to encourage Donald's reckless hyperbole and unearned confidence that hid Donald's pathological weaknesses and insecurities. As Donald grew up, he was forced to become his own cheerleader. First, because he needed his father to believe he was a better and more confident son than Freddie was. Then because Freddie required it of him. And finally, because he began to believe his own hype, even as he paradoxically suspe uh, suspected on a very deep level that nobody else did. By the time of the election, Donald met any challenges to his sense of superiority with anger, his fear and vulnerability so effectively buried that he didn't even have to acknowledge they existed, and he never would. In the 1970s, after my grandfather had already been uh, preferring and promoting Donald for years, the New York media picked up the baton and began dis disseminating Donald's unsubstantiated hype. In the 1980s, the banks joined in when they began to fund his ventures. Their willingness, and then their need, to foster his increasingly unfounded claims to success hung on the hopes of recouping their losses. After a decade during which Donald floundered, dragged down by bankruptcies and reduced to fronting for a series of failed products from steaks to vodka, the television producer Mark Burnett gave him yet another chance. The Apprentice! Dun, 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 traded on Donald's image as the brash, self-made dealmaker, a myth that had been the creation of my grandfather five decades earlier, and that astonishingly, considering the vast trove of evidence disproving it, had survived into the new millennium almost entirely unaltered. All right. By the time Donald announced his run for the Republican Party nomination in 2015, a significant percentage of the American population had primed to believe that myth, that Donald Trump, you know, was the, uh, you know, picture boy for, you know, uh, success or, um, yeah, growth and, you know, Trump hotels and uh, Atlantic City. Yeah, okay, fine. To this day, the lies misinterpretation misrepresentations excuse me and fabrications that are the, that are the sum total of who my uncle is are perpetuated by the republican party in white evangelical christians i'm moving this back and fucking forth we'll figure it out dude okay this is the first one dude i'm gonna watch it you know i'll make changes dude and when i do everything's gonna be tight as shit all right anyway sorry for those that are listening i just did 
you know what? Check the YouTube. Um, the sum of total. Okay, so the sum total of my uncle. Okay, all right. So let's go back to this. To this day, the lies misrepresent. Uh, to this day, the lies, misrepresentations, and fabrications that are the sum total of who my uncle uh, is are perpetuated by the Republican Party and white evangelical Christians. People who know better, such as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, true believers, such as Representative Kevin McCarthy, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and Attorney General William Barr, and others too numerous to name, have become unwittingly or not complicit in their perpetuation. None of the Trump siblings emerged unscathed from my grandfather's sociopathy and my grandmother's illnesses, both physical and psychological, but my uncle Donald and my father, Freddie, suffered more than the rest. In order to get a complete picture of Donald, his psychopathologies, and the meaning of his dysfunctional behavior, we need a thorough family history. Yeah, let's. In the last three years, I've watched as countless pundits, armchair psychologists, and journalists have kept missing the mark using phrases such as malignant narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder in an attempt to make sense of Donald's often bizarre and self-defeating behavior. I have no problem calling Donald a narcissist. He meets all nine criteria as outlined in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DCM-5. But the label gets us only so far. I received my PhD, me, Nate Chacon. I received my PhD. Just kidding. I received my PhD in clinical psychology from the Derner Institute of Advanced Psychological Studies. And while doing research for my dissertation, I spent a year working on the admissions ward of Manhattan Psychiatric Center, a state facility where we diagnosed, evaluated, and treated some of the sickest, most vulnerable patients. In addition to teaching graduate psychology, including courses in trauma, psychopathology, and developmental psychology, for several years as an adjunct professor, I provided therapy and psychological testing for patients at a community clinic specializing in addictions. Okay, so well-versed, well-traveled, definitely has put her time in. All right. Those experiences showed me time and again that diagnosis doesn't exist in a vacuum. Okay. I'm glad she says that, actually, to make sure that, because I, I, I like that. Diagnosis does not exist in a vacuum. There's, there's other factors that definitely play a part. It varies. Does Donald have other symptoms we aren't aware of? Are there other disorders that might have as much or more explanatory power? Maybe. A case could be made that he also meets the criteria for antisocial personality disorder, which in its most severe form is generally considered sociopathy, but can also refer to chronic criminality, arrogance, and disregard for the rights of others. Is there comorbidity? Probably. Let's look up what that fucking word means. Because I don't know what that means. Comorbidity. That's the dope. I'm going to, you know what? That's also going to become part of my regular ass vocabulary. I'm going to say like in meetings, like, you know, if there wasn't so much comorbidity, uh, we might be able to really reach, um, you know, more goals here. Uh, comorbidity. In medicine, comorbidity is the presence of one or more additional conditions often occurring. Okay. Comorbidity. 
All right. Lost my place. So dope. Okay. Um, but also can refer to chronic criminality, arrogance, and disregard for the rights of others. Is there comorbidity? Probably. So is there a bunch of shit working out hand here? Okay. Donald may also meet some of the criteria for dependent personality disorder. Um, the hallmarks of which include an inability to make decisions or take responsibility, discomfort with being alone, and going to excessive lengths to obtain support from others. Are there other factors that should... That sounds like almost like any artist trying to make it. <laughs> I might have it. Um, are there other factors that should be considered? Absolutely. He may have a long undiagnosed learning disability that for decades, I heard he doesn't, he doesn't read well or doesn't read at all. I don't know if that's true or not, but I didn't read it on Instagram. I read it somewhere else. It was definitely more fucking reliable as a source. Um, also he is, okay. So, uh, absolutely. He may have, lo- have a long undiagnosed learning disability that for decades has interfered with his ability to process information. Okay. Also, he is alleged to drink upward of 12 Diet Cokes a day and sleep very little. Damn! 12 Diet Cokes a day? Dog, I can barely fucking muscle through a quarter of a Coke Diet Coke. My mom loved Diet Coke, by the way. Loved it. I, I, and it's not because that she loved it. Like I, That is the reason why I don't love it. I just, I don't, it doesn't taste good. I know a lot of people like it. But 12 of them? Dog, 12? Yo. You're not even supposed to drink, to, like, you're, what is it, like 100 ounces of water a day? I mean, like, if you're, like, really drinking water, it's like 100 ounces. 12? It's 144 ounces. That's quick math for you, too. So, hit me up for math shit. 12, dog. Come on, bro. Okay, also, he's alleged to drink upward of 12 Diet Cokes a day and sleep very little. Uh, I, In Diet Coke, they don't go diet on the caffeine, right? So... Yeah, sleeps very little. But also, I and I'm I, I can feel myself going on a fucking couple tangents here. But like, there's something to be said though for him not sleeping a lot because like a lot of like people of power or you know millionaires, billionaires, things that they they know that they don't sleep a lot. They'd much rather be tired and not poor than uh, than uh, spry and with no money. But it's for sure the fucking caffeine and the fact that he's not taking care of himself. So the don't take whatever I just said into a, like a mastermind course. Like he just drinks too much fucking caffeine. 12 Coke, 12 Diet Cokes a day, dude. Come on, man. <sighs> Jesus. In this, okay, does he um, suffer from a substance? In this case, caffeine. Called it, nailed it, duh. Uh, indu- uh, does he suffer from a substance induced sleep disorder? He has a horrible diet and does not exercise. Which may contribute to uh, to or exasperate his other possible disorders. Duh, man. This is not fucking, you know. The fact is, Donald's pathologies are so complex and his behavior is so often inexplicable that coming up with an accurate or comprehensive diagnosis would require a full battery of psychological and neuropsychological tests that he'll never sit for. At this point, we can't evaluate his day-to-day functioning because he is, in the West Wing, essentially institutionalized. Donald has been institutionalized for most of his adult life, so there's no way to know how he would thrive or even survive on his own in the real world. He's like a zoo animal. At the end of my aunt's birthday party in 2017, as we lined up for our pictures, I could see that Donald was already under a kind of a kind of stress he'd never experienced before. 
As the pressures upon him have, have continued to mount over the course of the last three years, the disparity between the level of competence required for running a country and his incompetence has widened, revealing his, dis- his delusions more starkly than ever before. Many, but by no means all of us, have been shielded until now from the worst effects of his pathologies by a stable economy and a lack of serious crisis. But the out-of-control COVID-19 pandemic, the possibility of an economic depression, deepening social divides along political lines linked to Donald's penchant for division, and devastating uncertainty about our country's future have created a perfect storm of catastrophes that no one is less equipped than my uncle to manage. Doing so would require courage, strength of character, deference to experts, and the confidence, deference, def, uh, deference to experts, and the confidence to take responsibility and to course correct after admitting mistakes. His ability to control unfavorable situations by lying, spinning, and uh, um, obfuscating. I read that differently. Uh, okay, by lying, spinning, and obfuscating has diminished to the point of impotence in the midst of the tragedies we are currently facing. His egregious and arguably intentional mishandling of the current catastrophe has led to a level of pushback and scrutiny that has never been experienced. Before, increasing his belligerence and need for petty revenge as he withholds vital funding, personal protective equipment, and ventilators for your tax dollars have paid for... Um, had paid for from states whose governors don't kiss his ass sufficiently. He, she's referring to New York. In the 1994 film based on Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley's novel, Frankenstein's mother says, I do know that for the sympathy of one living being, I would make peace with all. I have love in me the likes of which you can scarcely imagine and raise the likes and rage the likes of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy the one, I will indulge the other. After referencing that quote, Charles P. Pierce wrote Esquire, Donald doesn't plague himself with doubt about what he's creating around him. He is proud of his monster. He glories in its anger and its destruction, and while he cannot imagine its love, he believes with all his heart in its rage. He is Frankenstein without conscience. Fucking bars, son. Bars. That could more accurately have been said about that could that could have more accurately have been said about Donald's father, Fred, with this crucial difference. Fred's monster, the only child of his who mattered to him, would ultimately be rendered unlovable by the very nature of Fred's preference for him. In the end, there would be no love for Donald at all. Just as agonizing thirsting for it. The rage left to grow would come to overshadow everything else. When Rona, Rona Graf, Donald's longtime gatekeeper, sent me and my daughter an invitation to attend Donald's election party, election night party in New York City, I declined. I wouldn't be able to contain my euphoria when Clinton's victory was announced, and I didn't want to be rude. Damn, she was like, yo, I can't be there when fucking Hillary Clinton gets elected. <laughs> And be like sitting in my chair while my uncle Donald's over there and be like, oh! <laughs> Woo! That is fucking good, dog. So she just excused herself and said, I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm good, B. I, you know what? I'm probably going to sit this one at my house. 
Okay, at 5 o'clock the next morning, only a couple hours after the, uh, after the opposite result had been announced, I was wandering around my house, as traumatized as many other people, but in a more personal way. It felt as though 62,979,636 voters had chosen to turn this country into a macro version of my malignantly, malignantly dysfunctional family. Damn. So she's like, I, I thought we, I thought my family was going to be contained to like Luke, uh, Ruger's steakhouse. Now it's the whole fucking country. Now it's like, damn, that's, that's deep, man. Within a month of the election, I found myself compulsively watching the news and checking my Twitter feed, anxious and unable to concentrate on anything else. Though nothing Donald did surprised me. The speed and volume with which he started inflicting his worst impulses on the country, from lying about the crowd size at the inauguration and whining about how poorly he was treated to rolling back environmental protections, targeting the Affordable Care Act in order to take affordable health care away from millions of people, and enacting his racist Muslim ban overwhelmed me the smallest thing seeing donald's face or hearing my own name both of which happened dozens of times a day took me back to the time when my father had withered and died beneath the cruelty and contempt of my grandfather i had lost him when he was only 42 and i was 16 the horror of donald's cruelty that must have been tough the horror of donald's cruelty was being magnified by the fact that his acts were now official u.s policy dog affecting millions of people she didn't say dog i did the atmosphere of division my grandfather created in the trump family is the water in which donald has always swum and division continues to benefit him at the expense of everyone else it's where it's wearing the country down just as it did my father changing us even as it leaves Donald unaltered. It's weakening our ability to be kind or believe in forgiveness, concepts that have never had any meaning for him. His his administration and his party have become subsumed by his politics of grievance and entitlement. Worse, Donald, who understands nothing about history, constitutional principles, geopolitics, diplomacy, or anything else really, was and was never pressed to demonstrate such knowledge, has evaluated all of this country's alliances and all of our social programs solely through the prism of money, just as his father taught him to do. I said this, Doug, like, if he... Uh, if he just would have run... I get... I'm going to go back to this. I get him running to, like, promote his brand and shit. All right. Just go run businesses, man. The country is not like the business for you to run. As it stands, the country is run as a business, but it, I just, I just, he just got in way too above his head, man. And like, re, like, I'm telling you, this book is pretty good, but, and I understand it's from, I don't know what she has to gain from having such a, like, a bias, like, take or whatever i mean this is her family you know what happens in your family and some of the shit's fucked up and you see people that grow out of your family and you're like damn dog i bet it like at their job it's probably hard to deal with him i don't know but i just know it at family functions it's hard to deal with fucking you know whoever <sighs> i don't know man all right 
Solely through the prism of money, just as his father taught him to do. The costs and benefits of governing are considered in purely financial terms, as if the U.S. Treasury were his personal piggy bank. To him, every dollar going out was his loss, while every dollar saved was his gang. In the midst of obscene plenty, one person, using all the levers of power and taking every advantage at his disposal, would benefit himself and, conditionally, his immediate family, his cronies, and his psychophants. For the rest, there would never be enough to go around, which was exactly how my grandfather ran our family. It's extraordinary that for all the attention and coverage that Donald has received in the last 50 years, he's been subjected to very little scrutiny. Though his character flaws and apparent and um, apparent behavior have been remarked upon and joked about, there's been very little effort to understand not only why he became who he is, but how he's consistently failed up despite his glaring lack of fitness. <laughs> That's a fucking physical hit. All right. Donald has, in some sense, always been institutionalized, shielded from his limita- limitation or his need to succeed on his own in the world. Honest work was never demanded of him. And no matter how bald, I almost said how baldly, <laughs> how badly he failed, he was rewarded in ways that are almost unfathomable. He continues to be protected from his own disasters in the White House. Where a clack of loyals, uh, loyalists, uh, where, where a, a click of loyalists applauds his every pronouncement or covers up his possible criminal negligence by normalizing it to the point that we become almost numb to the accumulating transgressions. But now the stakes are far higher than they've ever been before. They are literally life and death. Unlike any, and unlike any previous time in his life, Donald's families cannot be hidden or ignored because they threaten us all. Although my aunts and uncles would think otherwise, I'm not writing this book to cash in or out of a desire for revenge. If either of those had been my intention, I would have written a book about our family years ago when there was no way to anticipate that Donald would trade on his reputation as a serially, as a serially bankrupt businessman and a relevant reality show host to ascend to the White House when it would have been safer because my uncle wasn't in a position to threaten and endanger whistleblowers and critics. The events of the last three years, however, have forced my hand and I can no longer remain silent. By the time this book is published, hundreds of thousands of American lives will have been sacrificed on the altar of Donald's hubris and willful ignorance. That's a very tough statement. If he is afforded a second term, it would be the end of American democracy. It's a very, very very pungent statement. I'm, I don't know. If I'm, but nonetheless, it's very deep to read. No one knows how Donald came to be who he, who is. Okay. No one knows how Donald came to be who he is better than his own family. I totally fucking agree with that. Unfortunately, almost all of them remain silent out of loyalty or fear. I totally fucking get that. I'm not hindered by either of those. In addition to the first hand accounts I can give as my father's daughter and my uncle's only niece, I have the perspective of a trained clinical psychologist. Too much and never enough is the story of the most visible and powerful family in the world. And I am the only Trump who is willing to tell it. I hope this book will end the practice of referring to Donald's strategies or agendas as if he operates according to any organizing principles. He doesn't. Donald's ego has been and is a fragile 
and is a fragile and inadequate barrier between him and the real world, which, thanks to his father's money and power, he never had to negotiate by himself. Donald has always needed to perpetuate the fiction my grandfather started that he is strong, smart, and otherwise extraordinary, because facing the truth that he is none of those things is too terrifying for him to contemplate. Donald, following the lead of my grandfather, and with the complicit complete and with the complicity, silence, and inaction of his siblings, destroyed my father. I can't let him destroy my country. And that is quite the introduction to the rest of this book, boy. Um, Mary L. Trump, PhD, man. Word up, man. Too much and never enough. How my family created the world's most dangerous man. Um some quick takes. Uh, I've already read some of that prologue, so I, um, as I was reading it, I I gave some of my piece on it. Um, I don't. I just don't know that. I don't know shit. First off, so don't come to me so for like political advice or this is not a political podcast or any of this sort. So, this is purely my own opinion. But I just think you like just go run a business, man. All good. You you've vaulted your name to even higher verticals through um, being coming president. It's an incredible feat to become president. I think we're, I think that um, you know we're. Uh, it's just an incredible feat. Even though that he he has, I mean, what is it? Thirty five years old, and you can start running. I mean, I could I could run next time. I, but I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even have the, you know, it wouldn't even, I, I, I would much rather try to run for some, like a city council member or something like that to make some change. That's, that's what I want to do here. Um, I think change happens, uh, and it's not what I think. I know that change happens on lower levels of government. And so this is a very educational time for us to be more involved locally and have our eyes open a lot more woke as it were. Um, but I wish you all well and, uh, episode 51, short story, bingo, Nate Chacon the third, uh, too much and never enough. Send, send you comments, type them in. I, um, yeah, type in your comments or whatever. Uh, email me short story, bingo at gmail.com. Check out extra T media blap. You got a, a single you're recording an album you're recording. Need to get produced, mixed, edited, mastered, all that. Um, extra T media, you got your back. You got some drone shots that you want to get done. Want to film a video for your sick ass single, um, or you just have some dope material that you want to have filmed. Litany of uh, different production values brought to uh, the table there. So, short story, bingo, one more time. Episode fifty one, Nate Chico on the third, and I'm out. Dun dun dun, spare fingers, yes.